0: hello welcome to the living open podcast for mystics and seekers i'm your host Erin. i'm a philly-based healing artist and this is a podcast to support your healing journey hello friends welcome back to another episode of the living open podcast This week's episode is an interview with Raina Legrand of Root to Rise Somatics on liberation through joy, play, pleasure, and movement. Raina's amazing. She uses she her pronouns. She's a somatic therapist, a trauma therapist, and a coach who lives in Michigan. She provides trauma-informed and liberation-oriented care to help anxious and sensitive people embody confidence and cultivate secure relationships. And she believes that individual and societal transformation is made possible when we center our bodies, pleasure, relationships, culture, and context in healing. I definitely agree with that, and it was such a pleasure to have Raina on the show. We talk about her journey. We talk about liberation through joy and play and pleasure and movement, the episode title. We talk about centering choice and living honestly and authentically and finding a balance with our feelings where we value feelings so much, and also we don't want to get stuck in them. Um... Developing discernment, reparenting our parts, not making creativity a to-do list item, building confidence in the security of your relationship, building security in relationship, big and small ways to be honest about who we are, digging into the work of relationships with other people who want to do that too, and allowing ourselves change and fluidity. I think so much of what we talk about in this episode feels really present for me right now. You know, that part about finding balance with your feelings, about accessing joy and play and pleasure, reparenting always, <laughs> developing security, and also digging into the work of relationships with other people who want to do that too. I think it's so interesting to notice where like things will pop up for me, where I'm still believing, even though I just so deeply know it's not true, that um, that my main goal has to be to like be easy in relationship um and it's it's so interesting (laughs) how that programming still feels really present even though i know that the only way for me to be easy in quotes is to not have any needs aka to erase my needs um to to not express myself honestly to not actually show up as my full self in relationship and to embrace complexity so um, this was a really cool conversation with Raina, and her work is is really lovely and really supportive, so I hope you'll check it out. I hope you enjoy this episode. I also want to let you know that Moonsign, my poetry collection, is going to be available everywhere, bookshop, Amazon, as a last resort, if you can't access it any other way, etc. Um, on May 20th, so May 20th is release day. I also have a small amount of copies that are available on my website and you can buy that now if you would like they will not ship until may 20th until release day so or actually until the week of may 23rd i think um, but yeah moonsign is is almost here for real for real everywhere um and thanks so much to all of you who have pre-ordered and who have even read the book already. I've gotten a couple messages from people who fully read the book in just a few days and that feels so so sweet. Um, It's really lovely to get your feedback so feel free to message me, tag me on Instagram, send photos of the book with your pets, whatever. I feel really excited about it being in your hands and your paws (laughs) so um, let me know. I love seeing, seeing the book out in the world. And that's all I wanted to share. Enjoy this episode. Be back next time with another interview. See you then. So I always like to start the show by hearing about your journey. And I'd love to hear anything you want to share about your journey with somatics and healing and becoming a therapist. And yeah, just how that's
1: brought you to this moment in your life. Yeah. Um, so I grew up dancing and I was a fat and clumsy little girl. (laughs) And I say that with endearment, right? It sounds so cute. Um, Yes. (laughs) And I'm mixed race. You know, my mom is white. My dad is black. So I feel like I I've just, I've always been interested in movement and the body. And I've always been interested in, like just you know what it means to be a human. Um been always been interested in belonging and identity and community mm-hmm. as it relates to um, wellness and healing. So I grew up dancing and when I got to college I was really missing that. And I live I well at the time I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm lived in Ipsy now, which is right next door, but I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a college town and a very affluent town. And so there were just all these yoga studios, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they all had sort of like first class free, which places don't really do anymore. This was over 10 years ago. Um, and so I started trying all these yoga classes and it sort of filled the dance sized hole in my heart and also felt like it actually felt better for my body and In some ways, um, you know, I mean, it's intentionally a healing modality and dance is beautiful, but not always intentionally a healing modality. So I decided to do a yoga teacher training and um, after college for a couple of years, I I exclusively was teaching yoga and mindfulness um, classes and workshops, but I wanted to do more And I also wasn't making enough money. It wasn't as lucrative as I thought it would be. And so I went back to grad school because that's what you're supposed to do, right? (laughs) Um, And I got my master's in public health and master's in social work. And when I started, I didn't know that I wanted to do one-on-one work. I thought I wanted to continue to do group work and classes and, and health education, which I still do and love. But I also realized hi kitty I (laughs) realized how much I enjoyed one-on-one work and how impactful it felt Mm -hmm. Um, and just how connected I felt you know I think sometimes with teaching I sort of am a bit like a a tornado in a good way I like in there and I'm doing all this stuff and then I'm like whoa what just happened but with one-on-one work it just felt really resonant And so I um, started doing therapy after school. I I did some health coaching and then I I transitioned into psychotherapy and I was actually struggling with my clinical confidence. And I realized that, you know, being in a grad program wasn't actually the type of training you need to be a therapist, even Mm -hmm. though that's what you're in school for. Right. I mean, therapy is a lifelong process um, of learning, but also um, traditional like you know school and and social work programs didn't necessarily have the perspective that I was coming from that felt you know sort of in my body around what healing and therapy could be, so I started taking more training in trauma treatment. I completed sensory motorcycle therapy level one for folks who know what that is, and um you know did all these other continuing ed courses on trauma and um, sensory motor psychotherapy in particular um, felt like it met me where I was in that moment around trying to help people understand mindfulness, not just as this, like you close your eyes and you take three deep breaths and then you feel better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, how do we harness mindfulness to pay attention in a focused way or to make choices about um, sort of what we want to do about our emotions if we have that capacity to have choice. So started doing all this trauma treatment training and, um, that really felt like a good fit for me. And so, you know, I really identify as a trauma therapist, but I also really identify as a somatic therapist. Um, and in saying that I sort of mean, you know, that the body has so much more to offer than trauma you know, I've sort of done this like mm-hmm. loop back around and I'm actually in a dance class right now, just for me. Um And just trying to kind of find liberation through joy and play and pleasure and, and movement. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got to where I am right now.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like I want to pick up right where you just Mm -hmm. left off and say that I feel so much in that place too. And I feel like right now in my life, my healing is a lot less of like, I don't know, like I'm still in therapy and I love it and it's really important and really needed for me, but I feel like it's less like I really need to do these like rigid rituals every single day to like be okay and help me heal mm-hmm. and it's more like oh like I'm letting there be like more spaciousness in my life and I'm learning yeah. wheel throwing and I'm writing poems oh, and then, cool. like walking around and looking at the trees you know it's like yeah it's exactly that it's like how we I don't know expand like with our trauma it doesn't go away but how we like continue to like grow and expand while still holding it
1: Totally. I feel like so much therapy, I mean, this is a generalization and I'm speaking sort of about the social cultural context of psychotherapy more than I am about individual therapists. Cause I know so many great individual therapists and, and practices. Right. But I feel like the, the sort of scope of therapy is around um fixing what needs to be or like addressing what needs to be able to be fixed in order for you to like function right and just in this place where we are you're entering year three of the pandemic I'm just not so convinced that like functioning is what we need to be doing anymore <laughs> and you know I think I see my job so much more these days as helping clients hold space for ambiguity and uncertainty than, okay, what's the structure that you need to, like you said, feel better. And it's not that that's now excluded. Like that's still a component of it. It's more of like a both and.
0: Absolutely. And I think I'm so curious to share. You mentioned like over email before we got on here about Mm -hmm. this, about exploring like how you can help people be more alive rather than functioning in our Mm -hmm. obviously dysfunctional society and like what that means for therapy in general and your role as therapist so I'm just curious if there's anything else you want to dig into around that and what that might mean like for for all of us
1: yeah yeah I think something that's top of mind for me lately when I think about my work with clients um is really just being with and responding to what's coming up for you mm-hmm. um you know i mean i have a lot of clients who struggle with depression and low motivation right and they're like beating themselves up about what they're not able to do or accomplish right now and i'm just like curious what actually would happen if we could let go of those expectations? Like, I don't think actually that we then just all become blobs who don't do anything, (laughs) right? Like, I think sometimes we can get stuck in that space. Um, But I think that's because we're like resisting, right? There's this confusion. Mm -hmm. And so instead, I'm, I'm like curious, and I've been trying to explore for myself, okay, if I just truly give myself the rest that I need and the not doing time that I need, then does it sort of allow those other moments where I do want to do things, right? Like actually feel more fulfilling versus what I feel like I should be doing, you know, <laughs> to mm-hmm. like keep my life going. Um, yeah. So really it's like responding to your emotions as they are. And something I've been working with clients a lot around lately is choice, like choosing, okay, so here's how you're feeling. Do you want to sort of sit here and pay attention to this emotion and draw it out a little bit? Or do you feel like you need something else that would be distracting or or resourceful in another way? And like, that's okay, right? Mm -hmm. We also now, I think there's this expectation that we put on ourselves in this healing world that like, we should always feel our feelings and like, we should feel our feelings, but not because we feel like we should, right. We should feel them because we want to see what's there and where we feel prepared to hold that and be honest about it. So like honesty and authenticity are really shining through for me. Like we should be honest with ourselves and honest with others about who we are and what we want. It's just such an easier way to live and of course I know it's easier said than done (laughs) because I'm saying (laughs) that but
0: (laughs) I'm just thinking that but I'm like we have to talk about the the feelings thing more because I was Mm -hmm. just thinking that as you were saying it I'm like Mm -hmm. I feel like my journey with feelings was like I shut down all feelings Mm -hmm. I don't feel anything for like a really long time and then so much of my healing was like I have all this access to all my feelings and I feel my feelings and I feel so alive and that feels so beautiful and supportive. And I think now I've gone all the way over to the other extreme. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out like, and coming into the understanding that like, actually I don't think that every feeling I have ever needs to be felt or needs to be given an entire two hours to cry. And like, maybe other people will disagree. I'm just talking about myself. But I think like, I'm trying to figure out now what is because I never ever want to go back to not feeling anything. And yeah. I value feeling so much. And I think it's so important. Um, but I also find myself in a space sometimes where I'm like, Ah, this again. And at some point I'm just like a little bit tired of like feeling this feeling that's here. And it's like, that's okay. But maybe I like might actually be better served by like going and I don't know, taking a walk and not like giving so much space to just like linger in
1: the feeling. I don't know. Does that make sense? (laughs) Totally. I mean, I think, well, as you're talking about that, what I was thinking about is how how much we can like craft a story around our emotions right mm-hmm. and sometimes for me and this is something that I feel like I really learned from my training in sensory motor psychotherapy is like sometimes it's okay to drop the narrative right mm-hmm. and just be like I feel irritated I need to go on a walk right like there mm-hmm. might be times when you want to sit down and really and really explore what you're feeling. And I encourage that. And I do that. Right. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, let me just see what my body sort of needs on a physiological level. Yeah. Sort of more from the bottom up than, than from the top down. But the biggest piece is like developing your own discernment, like your capacity to discern what feels right for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and to, yeah, notice when you're like, man, I'm just actually like, drowning in this emotion. Like, you know, I can't even hardly tread water here. So Mm -hmm. is it useful for me to sit here with this? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And talking about the story makes me think about how I think things that make me feel things right Mm -hmm. like that is something that happens and Mm -hmm. that's totally fine um but sometimes it's really like my thoughts that are creating those feelings and those Mm -hmm. thoughts can be about really real things like I'm focusing in my head on something that is really happening like it's true and it is really sad Mm -hmm. um and if I'm like really feeling like I need to cry, I know that it's something that I'll do is like I'll bring yeah. up, this up and I'll let those fears and thoughts just like be here and then I can just like let it out. And that feels so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also makes me think about how like I working with my thoughts is also something that can be helpful if I'm like, maybe it's time for me to like cycle out of this focus on how my dad doesn't talk to me and Mm I go into like a focus on something else. So I can like Mm -hmm. feel a way that I want to feel in this moment.
1: Yeah, totally. I also use a lot of parts work in my therapy. So, you know, people might be familiar with um, the term internal family systems therapy, but I mean, so many of us already talk in parts like well, part of me feels this way and a part of me feels <laughs> that way. And I really like parts as like an invitation to reparent yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, again to sort of like exercise that discernment and just sort of self-soothing in, in all sorts of ways without without making yourself wrong for what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. To sort of say like, here's, yeah, like here's this pain you hold around your father and that's important. And also like, look what else life is offering you, you know? Yeah
0: that's exactly it you just said you just gave the words in such a beautiful way that I was having a hard time mm-hmm. finding but that's exactly it like this pain is real but it's not everything and it's not yeah. my whole life and I want to access the full spectrum that is my life and the full mm-hmm. spectrum of feeling which includes yeah. a lot of things that are really comfortable to feel and yeah. then I want to feel pleasure and joy and all of that stuff right um, and I don't want to get stuck in one frequency I want to like go through go through them all. And I think they're all important and, and have value and power.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Man, there was something you said that I was like deep in the listening. So I'm sort of like lost my train of thought and I'm hoping (laughs) it comes back to me, but
0: that's okay. I want to say something else about what you said about this reparenting of parts. And it's so true. Like we really do talk that way in just like normal life, or at least I do. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. part of me wants this, part of me feels this, the other part of me doesn't. Like that's Mm -hmm. such like a normal thing to, to talk about. And with the reparenting, I'm thinking about how getting this cat, sweet little baby Chai is like, feels like a reparenting thing for me too. Yeah. I, I grew up with cats, but I've never had a pet that was mine as an mm-hmm. adult, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like solely responsible for her care. And I'm just like in so much awe of her, I'm like, this is my little baby. (laughs) And it feels so sweet. I feel like I'm giving it to me as I'm giving it to her. I don't, I'm like telling her how perfect and amazing she is. And I'm like, oh, I like, I want to feel that way. Not that I'm perfect, but like, that I'm like worthy of compassion and love and care. Like I'm giving it to my sweet cat. And I, there's no part of me that doesn't think that she um, doesn't deserve that, you know?
1: Yeah. It's like those bumper stickers or you know, that say be the person your dog thinks you are. It's like <laughs> treat yourself like you treat, like you would treat your dog or your cat, oh right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like when I came home last week and my dog had tore up two boxes of tampons luckily she didn't (laughs) swallow any of them you know and I just quietly cleaned up I just sort of (laughs) held my anger inside and I recognized that she was bored and she needed to go to the dog park (laughs) Uh (laughs) yeah and And I I remembered what I was gonna say which is that I think sometimes we can. I see this a lot in like social justice spaces and BIPOC spaces. Like we can feel really resistant to turning away from like our trauma and pain because we want to feel entitled to it. And we, we are entitled to it, but it's actually, to me, it's not about gratitude. Like I'm so thankful for what else life has to offer. And that buffers against all this trauma I've experienced. It's actually like about having the audacity to say like I've experienced all this shit and I still deserve to like live out loud to like feel so alive, you know? Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah. Like all of that is true and
0: this can be true too. And I deserve it. The pleasure, yeah. and the
1: love and all of those things too. Yeah. 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 Just like my dog. <laughs> just like your dog
0: (laughs) and like how sweet and just that example I'm like thinking about how we can give this to ourselves you were like oh you did this thing I don't love but I totally understand why you would have done that and I am not upset and it's okay or maybe I am upset but I'm not going to take it out on you and I'm going to help you meet your needs now and So that maybe you don't have to like tear up the tampons again and we can like go outside and that's for everyone.
1: Yeah. How sweet to do that for yourself too. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, we can do that for ourselves. You know, a lot of people beat themselves up for like, oh, I ate too much or I haven't been exercising or I've been drinking or, you Mm -hmm. know, I haven't been reading enough. And it's like, actually that is an invitation to pay attention and be curious about like what else would actually feel more like you want to reach for it you know Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I feel myself doing that a lot when I'm like oh I haven't done this thing that I Mm -hmm. do generally want to do or that I feel like Mm -hmm. is is something that's helpful for me Mm -hmm. Um, and in those moments I feel like it's a practice for me of being like okay, I am evolving and changing all the time. And like, just because I want to want to do embroidery, because in the past I have wanted to do it, doesn't mean that I want to in this moment. And like, that's okay. I'm not gonna like force something that's supposed to be creative and fun into like a weird to-do list item that I feel shame for not doing.
1: Like, it's so... Right. It's like, Oh, I have to function. I have to be working and I have to be doing creative things. It's so funny. I actually literally had this embroidery conversation last night with I was like, I want to embroider. I want to. sew. I brought, bought some cross stitch patterns and I just, Mm -hmm. I have not felt creative all winter, you know? And I'm like, okay, that creativity will come back around eventually.
0: (laughs) Yep totally I signed up for this sewing class because I I love embroidery but I have no idea how to sew and I got this sewing machine from my grandma and it's like beautiful and old it's from like the 60s or something and it was her mom's I'm like wow I want to like do some sewing with this so I signed up for this class but I didn't attend a single class and I just haven't done any of the record and I'm like well whatever I'll keep the recordings and when it's time if it ever is, time, then I'll do that and I'll learn how to sew on this gorgeous machine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if it's, I'm trying to do something to bring pleasure and healing and if I'm trying to force myself to do it and it doesn't actually feel wonderful mm-hmm. or healing, then like that's it's time to step aside or whatever.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. I want to go back to what you were mentioning about. I feel like you brought up confidence a couple of times, and mm-hmm. I know that helping people build confidence and security in relationships, and also I think therapists doing that in practice too, maybe, mm-hmm. um, is part of your work. And building security in relationship has been my work with a capital W over the yeah. past year. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to open up a conversation about that and. You said, you said earlier about like being honest about who we are and what we want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like that's part of the confidence and security conversation too. And like, that's so hard to get to that place of like feeling confident enough in those things to be able to communicate them and be honest yeah. about them. So yeah, I guess I'm just wondering, like, where can we start <laughs> to talk about building confidence and security in
1: relationship. Yeah. So um, well, it's gonna sort of take us to like the deficit framework for a second, right? Mm-hmm. Um and think about like how traumatic experiences, stressful re- experiences in relationships, not getting our needs met, you know, our body learns things just like we learn how to tie our shoes, like you make the bunny ears and you know, blah, blah, blah. Like our body learns like, oh, here's the situation. Here's what I should do. Right. And and this actually isn't deficit. This is our body's Mm -hmm. adaptation. Um, But we, our body learns to override our needs. And this can be so subtle that we don't even realize that we're doing it sometimes. Um, I'm trying to think of like a personal example. So One for me, I have a part who is so speedy. Like she's just speeding around all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, actually to feel calm, I need to move slowly. Right. But I'll notice sometimes that when I'm on my way to meet up with a friend or I have a friend here who's in the backyard, if I'm in the house, I'll be like speeding around to get back out to them. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's my attachment system. That's like looking for that, like clicky connection. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. so excited to be with someone that I just don't want to miss out on any opportunity. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that means that like, I'm breathing really fast or like, you know, I didn't just like pause to take that moment for myself to regroup or, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I think in the past when I was not quite as far along in my healing, it would mean, that I would rearrange my schedule for things, right? And on the one hand it's like, oh, that's sweet. Like you want to like be accommodating, right? So it's not inherently like a bad thing, but I've really been learning through this forced slowness and staying home that we've had over the last couple of years how much my body actually likes to move at a slower rhythm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we it's sort of been an invitation for me to realize like there are big ways and there are small ways that I can be authentic and be honest about who I am, including like, Hey, I'm going to take my time and I'll get there when I get there. Right. Mm -hmm. And intellectually, I know that people aren't like, you're 10 minutes late for happy hour. Right. But like, I think the, the part of me who has been conditioned in, in relationships that felt traumatic to me feels like, oh my God, I have to be there on time. I have to do it perfect. Right. And so reparenting myself has looked like saying like, whoa, 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 whoa. like Just really reminding myself, you can take your time. And if you get there late and somebody's pissed or they don't want to be your friend anymore, then that's actually really good feedback for you. We can take feedback Versus feeling like we have to shapeshift around people, right? And then decide what we want to do with that feedback. Um, and yeah, so when, you know, I'm working with folks who have or are living with the effects of traumatic stress and working with couples who, you know, either one partner or both partners have um, a history of, of traumatic stress and relationship trauma in their lives noticing those overrides and finding ways to build in reassurance can be so important mm-hmm.
0: yeah Yeah, the reassurance piece that's just um what you shared about that example of being late resonates with me so much and I think I learned this in a relationship that I was in when I was like mm-hmm. 17 years old mm-hmm. I have this distinct memory of like rushing to get over to his house because um if I got there like 20 minutes late or however late I knew like we weren't going to be able to have connection because he wasn't going to wait for me um it was a terrible relationship very traumatizing but I like totally that anxiety around like timing is for me it's like an anxiety about not being able to experience connection yeah um And it's been really cool for me to be in, this is funny, but to be in a partnership with somebody who's always late.
1: Uh huh.
0: I had to do a lot of learning around like, oh, this doesn't mean anything about me. This actually doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean that they don't care about me, that they don't want to connect with me. Um, And now it feels like so much easier, but in the beginning, it's totally a learning curve. And it's like that I mean, there's so much that goes into it, but that reassurance that you brought up, I think is so important and being able yeah. to reassurance
1: too, when you're having a hard time giving it to yourself
0: or even mm-hmm. regardless of what you can give to yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I have been in that relationship too, with somebody who was always running late and we're still friends and he's always still running late. <laughs> <laughs> And I, um, he was a big learning curve for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's so beautiful, like to be in relationship with people who I think being in relationship with people helps us heal and helps us learn so much about ourselves. And I am with the person that I want to be with forever. And it feels Mm -hmm. so hard at times, but really, really cool to, experience that process unfolding and to imagine how it will continue to unfold as we keep like loving each other and being with each other and
1: yeah yeah it's so cool so sweet yeah Yeah, and I mean I'm guessing this person like meets you there right like they're happy to go through those, like, iterations of, like, oh, we're, like, missing each other in some way, right, versus Mm -hmm. being, like, you're 20 minutes late, (laughs) and I can't give you the affection that you need now. It's, like, huh, yeah, how can you just, relationships are a journey, right? They're not, Mm -hmm. here's this person who checks all your boxes. It's, like, here's this person who checks a lot of the boxes, but is willing to, like, work with you on the other stuff,
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's such a shift away from how I used to think about relationships and I think part of that was I was gay and dating cis men so I was like Mm -hmm. literally coming up I had to come up with some kind of criteria to figure out who I Mm -hmm. should be dating because it wasn't authentic um but yeah it's really beautiful to be able to like see people as they are and to know that relationships are like work makes it sound bad, but I love, like, I love being able to dig into that work together. Like it's work that I want to be doing. It's like work, but yeah. it's not labor. I don't know. It's like, right. it's good. <laughs> it's good. And to like be in relationship with people who want to do that with you too. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's such a beautiful you um, example you've provided, you know, about, you know, what types of people you like, right. Because mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily stem from a traumatic experience. I mean, we could, Talk about the trauma of um, heteropatriarchy and cis privilege, right? But um, it just was a process of discovering who you really were, being more honest with yourself, whether it was conscious or not, that like, actually, I don't like cis men, uh-huh and most people yeah. don't no I'm just oh, kidding no. <laughs> we love you we love you cis man
0: <laughs> I'm like I'm not there in my healing journey, journey to be able to say that but I love that you. <laughs> <video. laughs> yeah this conversation is making me think about I saw on tiktok the other day um a therapist was like sharing somebody else's video and in the video was this couple who's talking about like how to i don't know what they were talking about but the one of the people was saying that like if you have anxious attachment in the relationship like you need to learn how to like soothe yourself as if you were single and to just like get over it basically and the person who was sharing it was like This is such bullshit and it's Mm -hmm. such individualized white supremacist thinking about how we need Mm -hmm. to like do it on our own even within relationship and how this is a collaborative like healing process together in in
1: all kinds of relationships absolutely like as you know if you have an anxious attachment style it is important to practice self-soothing because you want to feel confident that you can do that for yourself right Mm -hmm. but like we're hardwired for connection. And, and actually I think like romantic relationships are the only place a lot of people actually get the kind of connection that they want. Mm. And I don't think that it's been like that for all of human history, you know, Mm -hmm. like that it's a very, like where we are right now (laughs) in history thing to feel like, oh, this is where I'm going to get that love and affection versus feeling like you really have community and, that's what I really love about folks who practice ethical non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it, but it just has never been in my, you know, personal practice. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a really great book called Polysecure. I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh my gosh. have read it. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And I, I just, yeah. I tell everybody to read it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, It's so
0: good. I think one of the things that's so beautiful in that book is she's talking about tools for both, like in the end of yeah. that like heart section. I, I think that's the acronym. Um, it's like it's tools for you and for developing mm-hmm. secure attachment with yourself. And then it's also like relational tools and ways of working together. And I'm like, yeah. I think that's it. It's not one or the other. It's both and everything.
1: Yeah. I mean, going back to your example about anxious attachment. For the other partner, like especially if they're an avoidantly attached person, I've seen, you know, a withholding because it feels like a giving up of your autonomy or independence or, you know, if you want this from me, what else will you want from me? But often what happens is when that avoidantly attached partner can say to the anxiously attached partner, like, give that reassurance and maybe they have to give it a bunch of times over and over again, then the anxious attached partner can actually relax because they're seeing like, oh, you will remind me like, hey, I know I'm in my head right now. I need some alone time, but, you know, let's go out to dinner later. Let's go on a walk or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's also so beautiful to learn how to ask for that reassurance and to mm-hmm. say, like, that's been a practice for me. Yeah. Like, I'm feeling really scared right now, and it's totally okay that you want to take space, but I would love some reassurance if you feel like you can give that. And, like, mm-hmm. that just feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> to to
1: totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when we don't feel like we can ask for what we need, then other things start to happen <laughs> <laughs> Other things yeah. Start to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah okay I have another question for you and I'm wondering like when we talk about you know being honest about who you are and what you need and what you want you have any thoughts about when you are wishing that you were <laughs> different okay. and not like in a big in a big scary way maybe but just like to give an example and thinking about like um, I think of myself as a person who is very casual and chill about mess. And mm-hmm. I invited my roommate to move in with conversations about, about that. And I'm learning about myself that I'm actually not chill, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not happy, but I actually am really bothered by it. And I actually want our apartment to be a lot cleaner than I communicated. And then I say, so it's like, it's not like, I wish I was a different person, but there's just like stuff about ourselves, right? That can be little or big that we're like, oh, I want, I wish it was different, but I'm actually realizing I'm this way. Do you have any thoughts about working with,
1: with that kind of stuff? Yeah. Your boundaries are allowed to change, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we often, a lot of people I think struggle with, well, I need to have it figured out and then I can't like make any adjustments, but that's not the way life works. Like Mm -hmm. your boundaries change based on all sorts of, you know, reasons. And one thing I will share with clients often is that going back to like parts work, our parts need to take turns, Mm -hmm. you know? So sometimes like there might be a part of you who, you know, feels really comfortable with mess. And then maybe you're feeling more anxious in general. And then another part is like, Hey, actually right now it would feel like having a cleaner apartment would be good. Right. And Mm -hmm. I would hope that, you know, co-living could allow for like that dynamic sort of, you know, things are shifting, Mm -hmm. right. Which I know isn't always the case because again, we don't often consider like co-living relationships, like at the same level of romantic or family relationships, right? And we're just like, well, we pay equally or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, there has to be wiggle room. Mm.
0: Yeah, your boundaries are allowed to change. I really appreciate that. And that's making me think too, like in general, like we're allowed to change and our needs yeah. are to change and our desires are allowed to change. Like it's all
1: it's all allowed to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Are you familiar with Grace Lee Boggs? She's um, I know
0: the name. I'm like, I'm having trouble thinking of who she is, but yes.
1: Yeah. So she was an activist um, in the labor movement in Detroit and she passed away a few years ago. Um, but um, she's got this great book. I see the title right now on my bookshelf. It's the next American revolution. And in that book, there's this quote that I always come back to that she talks about when she was younger, she felt like, you know, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. And I'm never going to change. Right. Like, I think that happens a lot in like our social justice and healing spaces, But she says, you know, she realized as she aged that actually like changing was more admirable and necessary than not changing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, just made me think of that when you when you said that, like changing is part of revolution, you know.
0: Like personal
1: and societal.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that.
1: And change feels so alive. It
0: feels
1: yeah. like the natural like flow of things. Right. Yeah. It feels so safe for us. I think just based on our sort of like capitalist conditioning to be, you know, sort of narrow and focused and structured and everything is goes this way. We do things the way we've always done. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I have those embodiments, too. And like, yeah, they can feel comfortable because that's what we've been conditioned around but yeah actually life is so dynamic
0: yeah I'm getting this image of like floating down a river and then getting like clinging to like one rock or something but like (laughs) it would feel to just like stop resisting just like let like yourself keep going and flowing and Mm -hmm. yeah
1: And that's a hard thing to do when we struggle with um, insecurity, whether it's Mm -hmm. relational insecurity or just, you know, emotional insecurity or whatever, like, because when you said that, what I felt in my chest was like this, oh no, this sort of like (laughs) gurgling open (laughs) abyss, right? Because yeah, it's scary to not know where you're going. And, And we do need those rocks to rest on sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm like taking this metaphor further. I love it. I love a metaphor. <laughs> I'm like, maybe every rock isn't one that you're like clinging and fighting to. Maybe some yeah. are like rocks you just like climb on and you sun yourself there and it yeah. feels great and lovely. And then eventually you're like, okay, now I'm ready to like get mm-hmm. into the flow and like get to the next rock or whatever. And some are like the ones that are like in the way and you're like,
1: ah! <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Metaphors can be really helpful. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I'm like, I write poetry, so I think that I've like changed my brain to, to, I don't know, think that way, Mm -hmm. put visual language to stuff, but
1: Mm yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think some people can get kind of lost in metaphors. Like it's, it's too overwhelming for them, but I think for like, I've noticed for sensitive people who tend to be on the more creative side, like metaphors really help us like find meaning when we yeah when we just are struggling to
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's what I love about art and poetry so much is like just words saying how things are and what the feeling is like they don't Mm -hmm. capture what it's Mm -hmm. really like you know Mm -hmm. like I think we need other ways of communicating that are yeah that are visual that are symbolic that are Different than just like literally, this is what I see and
1: feel. Yeah. If you
0: feel seen in that? I don't yeah. know. That that feels right to me, anyways.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Raina, thank you so much for being here. I want to ask you the last question I always ask on this show, which is just because the name of the podcast is Living Open, what does living open mean to you? What comes up mm-hmm. when you hear that?
1: I love that. I mean, the first thing was I felt this sort of arms open standing in the sun almost like that that uh catholic um deity in brazil on top of that mountain i can't think yeah. of what it's called right <laughs> i don't remember either but i know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah but i think that openness allows for flexibility and fluidity and adapting right and sort of like dancing around um versus like feeling stuck and stagnant in how things should be
0: Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: it's beautiful
1: Mm -hmm.
0: can you let people know where they can connect with you and work
1: with you yeah so folks can find me on instagram at root to rise somatics um and that's the the same words for my webpage root to rise somatics.com email is Raina at root to rise somatics.com. Um, I work with individuals and couples and non-romantic dyads as well. And I, I do therapy for folks who live in the state of Michigan, but I do coaching as well for folks who live outside of the state. So sometimes the scope's a little smaller. It's not just like okay, what happened in your life this week and, you know, what's anything and everything you want to explore. Um, It's a little more focused, but yeah, people have options for working with me, whether they're local or, or afar. So Thank
0: you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much, and it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon
1: until then.